So if you're, if you're new with us, we, uh, we take a book of the Bible and just go verse by verse through that book and we let God choose the subject. And we are in 2 Corinthians and we're going to start chapter 9. And chapter 8 and chapter 9 deals with everybody's subject in the church, money <laughs> and giving money. And we're going to see today that... Uh, when we invest in God, God blesses us, and that Christians should be cheerful givers. But of course, when you bring up that subject about money, people don't like it for some reason. Um, I heard about one wise guy who said, well, before church, what I do is I throw all my money in the air, and I let God keep what he wants to keep, and everything that comes back down, that's what I keep. But I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be, right? And that's probably why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because just some people just flat out love their money more than they love God. But I will also say, I think some people have their guard up when churches talk about money because there's so much shenanigans that goes on in the religious world regarding money and I know we shouldn't worry about what people think more than what God thinks but we are to worry about what people think because people are watching us that's why Nathaniel talked about last week we need to be accountable with our money and what does God think well I we could talk a lot about what he thinks about it uh, makes me think of when at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end of his ministry, he goes into the temple with a whip and chases out the money changers. He says, you have turned my house into a den of robbers, my house that's supposed to be a house of prayer. In other words, you're supposed to be leading people to God, but you're ripping people off in the name of religion. And what was going on there it wasn't the fact that they were offering sacrifices or even selling sacrifices because people needed a sacrifice or even exchanging the money but what they were doing is foreigners would come and they and they could only the you know it was a religious thing you had to pay the jewish money and so what they did was they the foreigners had to come and exchange their money and of course the people of the temple the religious people charged them a high price to exchange their money, and then they would have to give their temple tax anyway. People would come and want to sacrifice a lamb on the Passover. And so the religious people in the temple would, the priest would expect, inspect the lambs, and of course they would find a problem with it. Because it had to be a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish. They would find a blemish, so now you would have to purchase a lamb from them. And they were exploiting the foreigners. And, and all the people that came to worship God, they were ripping them off. And I'm telling you, that's what made Jesus angry. And it's sad when in our world today we see it, when even in the name of God and sometimes called Christians, People are offering things, but they're really ripping people off in the name of God. So 
we need to, we need to heed all this. Um, I've mentioned it before, but when we went over to Israel, the Holy Land, one of the things that sickened me about it was all of the religious stuff that they sell. And it's sad. I mean, you, you Google it. Google things you can buy from Israel. They've got lotion you can buy from the prophet Jonah. How did they get lotion from the prophet Jonah? That you can rub on yourself that will magically take away your wrinkles. Lotion from Solomon. They got holy water you can buy. And I guarantee you, they just got it from the hose outside and put it in that bottle and put a price on it. And people buy this stuff. And it's sad to me. And I want to tell you right now, there's no such thing as holy water, and there's no religious person that can make water holy. It's crazy. And I do think sophisticated people in the world look at all that and go, is this what God is about? So obviously, the true people of God need to have integrity with their money. People need to know what we're doing with our money. And, and we need to glorify God with our money. And I will say this. Yes, we worry more about what God thinks than what people think. But if there's somebody, if there's somebody in here today or, or in the future that comes that are skeptical about what the church is doing with money, we need to prove them wrong. We need to show them, no, there is a church that's trying to do things with integrity and do things right. That, that, that glorifies God. That's our big responsibility. So let's look at this today. I want to break this chapter 9 down in three sections. And 2 Corinthians is all Paul talking about his personal experiences the hard times he has, the sufferings, people are attacking him, attacking his integrity, causing trouble in the church, all kinds of suffering that he goes through, but through it all, God gives him comfort. Through it all, the gospel spreads and God gets glory. <clears throat> so this first part, let's, I'm going to call this the promise of giving. The promise of giving. And this is a continuation of chapter 8. And he says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Now, that's a word we don't use a lot, that superfluous, I can't even say it right. Um, it, it just means it's very unnecessary. Paul says, it's so unnecessary for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. Why? Because he's like saying, I know you already know this, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is making me say these things, Right? There are times, I know most of you, most of you Christians, you've already heard it, but the Spirit of God in me as I study, I still need to say it again. We need to be reminded of these things. And that's what he means. And what's going on here, <clears throat> they're, they're about to take an, an offering for all the poor people in Jerusalem who are being persecuted, who have lost their jobs 
because of Christianity. And we saw in chapter 8, Paul talked about the Macedonians who were poor, and Paul didn't even bother them for an offering, but they begged Paul, let us give. And that motivated the Corinthians who seemed to have money because they were in an industrial city. They were in a place where, where a great profit was being made. So now they got in on giving an offering, and it encouraged all the churches. And Hebrews says we shouldn't forsake the assembling together, that's coming to church, and we should spur one another toward good deeds. So when we, when we make sacrifices for God, when we give to God, when we help people, other people take notice of that and they're inspired by it. And that's what Paul is saying here. Your, your zeal to give has stirred everybody up. In other words, they're excited about taking this offering. And that's what God wants. We should be excited about giving to God and doing ministry for Him. Verse 3, But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be, Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. <laughs> Paul's saying, now listen, guys, you've promised to give this offering, and everybody's all excited about it. And now I'm sending people a long way to come and get that offering. So don't change your mind. Don't let the false teachers who are attacking me change your mind to give money toward this ministry. Verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the, for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. An exaction is a demand for money. Paul says everybody needs to know we are not demanding you to give money. Churches that demand their people to give money are not doing the will of God. God does not want it done that way. And Paul is writing them to them, keep the promise from your heart. Let everybody know you're doing this as a you're giving this willingly to the ministry of God. You're not being demanded by us to give. And so Keep your promise, Paul says. Keep your promise. And don't procrastinate. There's, there's so much in here. Just Paul talking personally, but you see him talking about how the church, we need to be organized. We need to get things done. We shouldn't put things off. Because then the enemy gets in there and causes issues. But we need to keep our promise. You know, being a Christian, you are in a relationship with God, okay? You make a promise to Him. God promises to save you. God promises that He died for your sins and that if you put your faith in Him, He promises that He will forgive your sins, put His Spirit in you, give you e e eternal life. And in return, you promise to follow Him, to love Him back, to surrender to Him. And I think it, that involves giving to him. And you work together. 
you're in a relationship. Ephesians talks about how the church, the church is a picture of us being married to Christ. And we are God's children together. And when my, my wife and I got married 40 years ago, we made a promise to one another. And we put all our money together as one, which simply means I just give my paycheck to my wife every week for 40 years. That's what that means. And she takes care of it. But the point is this. We, we get into the church and talk about how much we should give and what is the percentage. Listen, we're in a relationship. All our money belongs to God. We're in this together. Everything we do, it, it's a relationship with God. And we need to keep our promise. The promise of giving back to Him. Secondly, and this is the good part, and this is why I titled this Investing in God. Let's look at the prosperity of giving. The prosperity of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, in our world, many of you, when it comes to money, we invest in things to make more money. Uh, we invest in stocks and bonds. People are investing in that cryptocurrency. You put your money in mutual funds and IRAs. And, and there are many other ways we try to invest our money. And when we invest our money, we trust that, that our investment our investment is going to give us a return, right? That we're going to make a profit off of it. And I know, I know, we shouldn't, I don't want to throw Almighty God in with stocks and bonds. It's not like that. And it's not like the motive should be, you're going to hear this and go, well, I was going to give... $40 today, but now that I heard the sermon, I'm going to get some money back. I'm going to give $50. That's not how it works. That's not the motive behind it. But, but if we trust in these earthly systems, how do we not trust our God who says, when you give to me, I'm giving back to you and then some. And it's clearly saying, it's, it's just a, a little illustration of sowing and reaping. And the point means, the more seed you sow, the more crop you're going to have. That's what, he's, that's what the analogy is. So the more money you give to the kingdom of God, the more money God is going to give back to you. And sometimes it might not come back in the form of green money, but blessings of God, spiritual blessings. That's really what it's talking about. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. And then he said, with the measure you use, it will be given to you. So this is a guarantee from God that when we give to him, we can't outgive him. So whatever he gives, we're going to give back. But I just think sometimes we don't believe that. 
We don't believe that because I think if we really believed it, we would be willing to give more and sacrifice more knowing that it's coming back somehow. We can't explain it, but it's going to come back. Verse 7. And here's how we give. Here's, here, how much should I give? Here's, here's, here's how you decide. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is New Testament giving. God wants you to give whatever you've decided in your heart today. If you, did, if you were going to put something in the offering, Whatever you decided in your heart, that's what God wants you to give. He doesn't want you to give reluctantly because you feel like you have to out of guilt. He does not want you to feel pressured because some pastor pressured you. He wants you to give from your heart. It's very simple. For God loves a cheerful giver. In the Greek, hilarious. So, so when you give, you're like, man, you're like smiling. You're excited. You're excited to give to God. You're excited about what God's going to do through the church or in people's lives. And, you're, and you know that God is going to bless you back. I, were, I, was at my, I was at Isaac's birthday party, my grandson, and I was throwing kids in the pool. And some of the kids, some of the kids would just start laughing hysterically before I would even throw them. You know, they already knew it was coming. They were, ha ha, this is great. And that's how you're supposed to give. So before you put your offering today, it's ha ha ha, put my offering in. And be happy about it. That's what God wants. And it says God loves a cheerful giver. You're being pleasing to God. But when we're all reluctant about it, and I can't believe we're talking about money today. It's, it just shows something's wrong with our heart. Let's read on, verses 8 through 10. And it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The point is, when you give to God, when you trust God, that grace of God comes back to you and God sufficiently takes care of you and meets your needs that you may abound in every good work, that you could continue to serve Him, that, that you could even continue to give more to Him as He gives back to you. That's the idea. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. So the idea is spiritual blessing. No, it's not like the TV preacher He's not saying if you give money to the TV preacher, all of your problems are going to go away and you're just going to get all kinds of money in the, in the mail and you're going to be rich and never sick and happy all of your life and you're never going to have any problems. That's what that TV guy says. That's a lie. No, but Paul says he is, God is going to meet all of your needs. And just like he provides 
He makes the seeds grow and he makes the crops grow. Spiritually, he's going to make you grow. Spiritually, he's going to provide wisdom in your life and grace and peace and strength. God is going to multiply that when you learn to surrender to him and give to him. Paul said this from a Philippian dungeon. He says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's saying, Paul's saying, I'm in a dungeon, but God's taking care of me. And you guys were a part of it. You gave money to me. And that offering was a fragrant offering to God. Like God was so thrilled that people would give and help the Apostle Paul. And watch what's going to happen now. Verse 19, and he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father be glory forever and ever. So God will supply, listen, your every need. It doesn't mean God's going to give you, you give to God and you're going to get whatever you want. No. But, but it is a guaranteed promise that God is going to meet your needs. I want to say this to you. If you are a Christian and God is not meeting your needs, something is wrong with your Christianity. I would say that it's very possible that, that you're living in the discipline of God. And this is why people, Christians, get themselves so involved with material things, get them so involved in the world and bad habits and everything. No wonder their business goes under. No wonder they have all these family problems. No, no wonder they feel like they got a hole in their pocket and they just don't know where all their money's going because they're living in the discipline of God because they're not, they're not, they're not being any earthly good with their Christian life. And if God is disciplining you that way, be thankful because you are a Christian if he's disciplining you. And I always say, I didn't discipline any kids in my neighborhood. I disciplined my own kids, right? God disciplines his own kids. And this is why unbelievers, they do all this, and they seem to thrive, because they're on death row. They're on borrowed time. But God's people, when we're not living the way we should be, God disciplines us to get us where we need to be. You're struggling with money? My advice to you, Number one, start, start giving to God. Start trusting God and giving to God and watch what God does. Start being faithful to God. Start managing your money better. Stop wasting your money on things. Look for ways to meet the needs of people and God will provide for your needs and God will bless you in ways you never dreamed. And it's way more than money. I want to read a story from the Old Testament that I think illustrates this. It's a good story. In ancient times, the prophet Elijah, and let's read from, from 1 Kings 17. 
says, then the, the word of the Lord came to him, the prophet. God was speaking to this prophet that was writing scripture and wrote it all down, doing miracles to, conf- to confirm God's word was being written. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. God's like, I've provided a woman that's going to feed you today, Prophet Elijah, because the land is in a famine at this time. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, in our culture today, if a lady's out doing work in your yard, and some guy comes up and says, hey, give me a drink, and can you bake me some bread? <laughs> we call 911, okay? But in these ancient times, listen, these people were very hospitable. And, and so this, this kind of thing would happen. They would come, and people would offer them drink and offer them food. But watch what she says to the prophet Elijah, verse 12. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Basically, there's a famine in the land. She's basically telling the prophet Elijah, I got one more more meal left for me and my son. We're going to eat that meal and then we're going to die, pretty much saying, I can't give you anything. This is all I have is one more more meal left. Verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, then make something for yourself and your son. That sounds kind of like this prophet's being selfish. No, I still want some cake. I still need some bread, right? But, and then you and your son can have the little bit left. Well, verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. In other words, if you give me if you make this little cake for me or piece of bread for me, God says that that flour will never run out and that oil will never run out until the rains come. And it says, verse 15, and she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. They just kept eating out of the same two jars. Why? Because God kept supplying it. It never ran out. Verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. Here's the key verse. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This lady had to believe the word of the Lord. Does God tell the truth? Does God keep his promises? And let me tell you something, that story illustrates 
what the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians. That if you give to God, your needs will never run out. God will never stop blessing you. He will never stop giving back to you. But do we believe the word of the Lord? And that's why, you know, people get so bad about talking about giving, but boy, do we need to hear this. This is good for us. So we need to give and trust God. Thirdly and finally, let's talk about the purpose of giving. The purpose of giving. Verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You're going to be enriched. You're going to be blessed to be generous in every way. And what he's getting at there is when you give and you're generous to God, God's going to give back to you and that's, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be generous again even more. And it's going to produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So, what is the purpose of giving? People are going to praise God. The people that you give to, they're going to praise God because you provided their need. You're going to praise God because God is going to bless you back. And it's just going to be a non-stop Praise, praising to God in your life because you've learned this principle of giving and it's going to bring glory to God. It's going to make God known. Other people are going to look at your life and they're going to see that God works and that God is good and He is glorious. And that's the purpose of everything we do. To bring glory to our God. And that verse 14 again says, I like this, while they long for you and pray for you. So, who's he talking about there? He's talking about the poor people in Jerusalem that are going to be provided for because of this offering. And Paul says, those people are going to long for you. Those people are going to pray for you. Meaning, those people are going to be your friends. God, you know what God is into? God is into the friendship business. He wants us to continue build friends. And I'm going to tell you, there are no closer friends than in the church of God. When we, when we work together, when we give to one another, and when we give to somebody, they just, it makes them love us. It makes them want to pray for us. It encourages them to want to give. So that's what giving does. And then he closes with this verse. <clears throat> and this is a great verse as we go into our communion time. He closes it out and just says this. He's talking about them promising to give and 
Here's the prosperity that's going to come from it. Here's the purpose. You're going to glorify God. And then he just closes it out by saying this. Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is that gift? Jesus. Jesus. John 3.16. Let's read it. The most famous Bible verse of all, and it's a good one. It's sad, it's the most famous one, but not everybody believes it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I think Paul just closes it out with that benediction to say, this is why we give. Because God has given us an inexpressible gift. It's beyond thanksgiving. It's, be, it's beyond any word we can find in our dictionary. What God has done by Jesus Christ leaving heaven, the glories of heaven, taking on that human body. As Paul said earlier, he became poor so that we could be rich and we could have eternal life. And Romans 8.32 says it this way, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave his son to be sacrificed and tortured in the way he did, and if he did that for us because he loved us and wanted to save us, there it is again. How much more will he not graciously give us all things? How much more will he not take care of our needs in this life and give us the strength we need whenever we're going through hard times and give us eternal life? You see, when we give, not only is God going to bless us in this life so we can give more, but God is getting us ready for eternity. And you know what's going to be great about eternity are the people that we helped. And when we get to heaven, that's, that's the joy of heaven. That's the crown of heaven. Number one, seeing Jesus face to face and seeing God in all of his glory. Of course, that's number one. But number two is embracing one another, embracing the people we've helped, it's so worth it. I, I pray, I pray that God speaks to you today. Listen, as Nathaniel said, we don't even know what people give. Unless you put it in our hand, we don't know what you give, okay? And I'll be real honest, I could care less what anybody gives today. That's between you and God. It's none of my business. But as your pastor, I would so encourage you to hear what God is saying. And to believe in the word of God and his promises. And test him and see, as Malachi says. Test him and see. Give to him. Give to God. And you'll see. You'll be provided for. You won't know how it works. Can you explain how the oil in the jar and the flour in the jar never ran out? I can't explain that. And I cannot explain how when I give money today, when my wife and I give money today, that seems like we're losing money. 
And I cannot explain how we keep gaining money. Not, not wealth to live for ourselves, but to meet our needs and to be generous for God in other ways. May God speak to your hearts today on this matter. Pray with me. Pray with me. And we're going to take communion. And while you're praying, if you're new, the way we've been taking communion, we just want you to come forward. There's a table on the right and a table on the left. Just walk forward very slowly, no rush. You can't, you're not going to get in trouble, okay? Um, just come, come with thankful hearts. Get your communion. Uh, in the cup, the bread is attached to the cup as well, so you got both. And just open that up, and then I'll come out, and we will take communion together as the family of God, all right? But I, I, that last verse is really a good communion verse. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So in this moment, as you pray, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what struggles you have. I don't know what's going on with your money. God does. God does. God cares about you. God wants to help you. It's never too late. It's never too late. There was a time when I was like the prodigal son. All I did was squander money on partying. But when I came to Jesus Christ, my heart was changed and I learned. I learned how to manage money. I learned how to not waste money. And I learned how to give money. And my life has been so blessed ever since. And God will bless you. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never surrendered all to Him, surrender to Him today. Trust in what He did for you. It's not about, you can't be saved by coming to church or how much you give or how much you serve. You're saved because of what Jesus did for you alone. You trust in that, that he died on the cross. And you ask him to forgive your sins. And he'll put his spirit in you. And then when his spirit is in you, all of a sudden you're motivated to serve and give and love him back. And it's a beautiful thing. God, thank you for these scriptures today. Um, God, we're sorry that so many in, in, that wear the name Christian do ridiculous things about pressuring people for money. And it gives your church a bad name, God. God, help our church to have integrity. Help us to be transparent with our money. Help us God, show us the needs of people you want us to meet. May we never get selfish and, and try to get money for our comfort or our benefit. May we, may we always use the money that comes in for your glory, for your kingdom. God, so that we can reach more people in this community and tell them about your goodness and your love and your grace. And yes, so we can help your people that are struggling, that are sick, that are handicapped, 
widows who have lost their husband, children, children who, who don't have a father to provide for them. God, may we never stop helping these kind of people. And may you be glorified through it. Now, God, I pray we'd have thankful hearts as we remember you in communion. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please walk forward and get your communion, and we'll take it together in a moment.